hot diggity darn do we have one hell of a special guest for you guys today bringing you all the facts real estate facts real estate law facts facts just on life and what the guy likes doing mitch tell us man nothing uh is really more humbling than speaking to someone who is 10 times smarter than you are just when you think you know quite a bit about a topic you speak to somebody like our guest today and he just blows your mind and makes you feel dumb in the best ways and i'm i'm glad that he's a guy that's in our corner um as far as what we do on a day-to-day and so uh, i'm excited for the people to hear the knowledge that he's going to drop on everybody Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Time to Get Shit Done. I'm your host, once again, Greg Porchy, here with my co-host, Mitch Howard. Mitch, why are we wearing shirts like this? Floral Friday here at the Market Price Capital offices. Floral Friday. And uh, yeah, I'm feeling, you know, it's warming up outside. Or again, I'm in Nebraska. You're in South Dakota. You were just talking about, what I don't know, 10 feet of snow still on the ground for you guys. But (laughs) enough of me talking. I promise you, uh, I will not be doing a lot of that here today. I want to introduce our extremely special, (laughs) extremely smart. and, And I was telling Mike here before we got on this that I was a little nervous on bringing him on because he's a little bit too smart. And I want to make sure that that you guys as listeners always try to make sure you're not the smartest person in the room. That's one great way to learn. This is Michael Kuzma, lawyer extraordinaire, real estate investor here in Lincoln, Nebraska, and really all over the Midwest, right, Mike? Yeah. Um, we most So I actually live in Elkhorn. So I'm like right smack dab and I'm, I'm like far west Omaha, although we are longtime Lincoln folks. And yes, so like my practice, uh, you know, stretches over over Nebraska and Iowa and, and, and South Dakota. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think we got introduced over a deal up in your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Shoot, probably would have almost been about a year ago. About uh, a year ago, yeah. Now, um, I don't know if we are planning on throwing a party for like a one-year anniversary, but it's something that we can talk about surely after this. Absolutely. But I, and I as want- I, sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say, and as you know, once we get once we get the value add piece of that that deal done, and then there will definitely be a, a party. But that's something that we can talk about here later as we get farther into the podcast. You know, you're setting the stage. I, I feel like you should be interviewing me here today, Mike. <laughs> a little bit too smart, like I said. Um, but no, and as I said, lawyer and real estate investor. And so, what we try and figure out from our guests, our interviewees, is kind of how they got into the real estate industry and why this asset class. I assume that's questions for me. Well, so for you, Mike, first off, so yeah, ready to go. Right. Uh, so first off, like I, I had the very fortunate uh, opportunity to like formally study real estate in, in law school. Right. And so, and so at the time I am, you know, fresh out of grad school, I am like many 
you know, young entrepreneurial types. I'm, I'm young, I'm smart, and I've, I don't really have any capital. However, um, you know, sitting in, sitting in class thought, man, first off, Real estate is is one of those areas that really just you can't do it without law. I mean, there's it, it, it underpins so many things that are done in, in real estate. And so I found that really interesting. Then I right out of uh, my first gro- my first job, I got to clerk at a firm called Keating O'Gara, Ned Bed and Peter here in here in Lincoln. Um, great old, you know, hundred year old firm and got to work under a partner that was doing a lot of, of real estate deals. So that was the first time you know, I was exposed to you know, drafting purchase agreements and LLCs and structuring and deeds and you know, kind of the nuts and bolts and mechanics um, of, of, of real estate. And that is when sort of the light bulb went off of, ooh, I get to learn how to do this by doing it for other people, but I should start doing this for myself as soon as possible. And so, and so that kind of, you know, that seed started to grow and I started to think about that. And so as I went through my, through law school and I worked all along the way at, um, at law firms doing, doing, they're called clerkships. It's kind of like, um, it's, it's kind of like, uh, residencies for doctors, Mm. um, and, you know, and learned from a bunch of great mentors and some really experienced guys. And then by the time I graduated, um, uh, in 2011, we uh, a couple of friends uh, from undergrad, Scott Lloyd, who you know very well. Um, you know, we all pitched in. Uh, I mean, I think it was five thousand bucks each, and started KL Capital Investments, um, and that was really the, the the genesis. Now, what can you do with fifteen thousand dollars of capital in real estate? And the answer, of course, is not very much. So I think our first actual investment was in was in tax liens in Nebraska, which mm-hmm. have these this great statutory uh, framework, which, you know, again, got to formally study and thought, oh, this is, this is doable. And that was a really good sort of segue, um, into it. But, um, you know, as I've gone farther along in my career, I've gotten to, to just sort of see the ins and outs of real estate and how it, 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 it's, you know, a core asset class and, um, how it fits in with, you know, again, different LLC structures, trusts, um, you know, how deals are done, how those contracts are done. Uh, I would say most importantly, uh, business divorces. Um, I'm working on a case right now at the office where we've got um, two guys in their 70s, you know, phenomenally successful. They're going to be like you two, right? Doing doing Floral Fridays, of course. Um, you know, with with an eight figure eight figure portfolio that they built up from from nothing. However, what these two gentlemen didn't do was they didn't talk to a lawyer until they got into a knockdown drag out fight. And so now we're in like scorched earth litigation over it. So, you know, I get to see sort of the, 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 the full business cycle from, you know, idea to capital raising, to execution, to breakup, um, or in this particular instance, you know, the death of an LLC. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point. Uh, and it wasn't something necessarily, I guess, probably that Mitch and I thought about when we first started our LLC, was the legal side of things. And it gets a little dicey, I guess. And right. You, a lot of people say, don't go into business with your family. Don't go into business with your friends. And this is a little bit different than me being a manager somewhere hiring Mitch on or Mitch being a manager somewhere hiring me on. And then one or the other gets a little accidental, right? I'm working with my friend. This is more like capital intensive. And what you had said is you guys didn't have a lot of money at the time, each pitched in $5,000. 
do you have, or is there any value or did you guys ever think, or did you guys even know about private money or hard money at the time to where you thought that might've been able to help you scale uh, from the start or you what know, are your thoughts on those? So, you know, we were never really into flipping. Um, and, and I think that's really more where you get sort of the hard money thing. I, I conceptually understood it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of farmers and, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks do sort of hard money where, you know, for those of you, for those of you listeners who aren't familiar with the concept, you know, it's where you've got a private promissory note layered on top of what's called a deed of trust, depending on what your jurisdiction, that's Nebraska thing. Um, and, and so, you know, it's a way to sort of have essentially secured loans, um, with real estate. Um, but no, we, we didn't, cause we all had, we all had great careers, um, and so the, the goal was, you know, we were going to do this, um, you know, all we were largely self-funded for the first like six years. Um, and then and then only then started taking on an investor money and, and uh, a couple of a couple of private notes. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I was conceptually aware of it. Now, if I had to go back and start over again, um, you know, I one of the things that I would de- definitely do is look into that. Um, you know, seller financing, which is a form of hard money lending, um, you know, and a lot of sort of the creative, um, you know, deal structures that are out there. I think I would have done done that as well you know, if I could go back, you know, 15 years and, and, and start over. Or back to when you were 40 or so? Yeah, pr- pr- precisely, precisely. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I'm, yeah. I'm coming to you guys live from Happy Acres Retirement Home here. In- uh-huh. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I didn't know if you had moved to retirement facilities or not, but I'm glad to see you're still there and and uh, I'm alive and kicking boys. Yeah, absolutely. And I lost, and I realized that I lost track kind of, this is my stress ball. I kind of realized that I lost track uh, of what I was actually getting at to ask. And let me jump in is, here. I'll, I'll help you out, Greg, please. Uh, so Mike, you said something that, that piqued my interest and I've had interest in for a long time and that's tax liens. So did you mm-hmm. actually do a tax lien deal? And can you also explain to the audience what exactly that is? Okay. Well, this is, this is Nebraska specific, but um, in Nebraska, there's a whole statutory scheme that property taxes in Nebraska are paid in arrears, meaning you pay your property taxes a year late. And so, every, in fact, the, the, the tax sale just happened uh, March 1st, because um, it's the first, it's the, the first day of March, uh, I believe. And, um, uh, and, and so what a tax lien is, is, is it is a st- it's a statutorily created vehicle where you pay the county um, on delinquent taxes. And in exchange for that, you get a first lien, even over bank financing on the property, um, which comes with statutorily guaranteed 14% interest. Now, you know, rewind back to, you know, the, the, the early 2010s, right, 12, 13, 14. And, uh, you know, and even until recently, 14% interest was unheard of in the market, right? You had, you know, treasury bills at, at 2%. Um, and so it was a great way to to you know get started. And because you know I we had banking connections and kind of understood how that game was played, we were able to take that portfolio and get leverage on it, uh, meaning we put a line of credit secured against them, um, and we're able to go out and buy them. Now the problem with tax liens is they're really hard to do at scale. And so what I mean by that is the the Nebraska has a really kind of old school lottery system. So you actually need like numerous physical people to attend the sales and you know literally put your like you know number or your name in a in a hat and get your number pulled 
Um, and that's how you get the luck of the draw. The other issue with them um, is, is you don't know how long you're gonna have them for. And so for example, um, if they're held to maturity, and what that means under Nebraska law is they're held for like the three year period plus, I think it's the whatever the notice period is, six months or whatever, then, then you would take a tax deed on the property. You could foreclose on it. And we only had that happen twice. Um, and, and ultimately, ultimately made you know, decent money, but nothing, you know, nothing you know, wild um, um, on those. But you actually end up carrying and paying those taxes to preserve your lien over that three-year period. Um, but most of them pay out after a few months and you collect your, your interest and your fees and your spread and move on to the next. So it's a great, it's a great business um, to, to start, especially if you're using sort of limited amounts of capital. And so if I'm right, from when I lived in Omaha, I remember there's a list on the Douglas, Douglas County Assessor site where you can go down and essentially just pay people's taxes, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Now, it, it's only on a, on a prescribed day, you know, every year and, and every county has does it just a little bit differently. But yes, that's exact. That's exactly it. Do you know how many states are similar to Nebraska in this aspect? Don't know. I, I'm not I'm not sure. I think South Dakota has something something similar. Um, sure. But what we only we only operated in in Nebraska. And so is there anything you need to do before scrolling down the website and just clicking pay on other people's taxes? Uh, yeah. So you got to get, you got to get registered to, to be, to be a bidder. Um, and, and, and virtually, virtually every county, uh, treasurer, uh, county assessor site, well, they'll have like a, like a Q and a, like how you do it. Um, especially now, I mean, I guess this was, you know, over 10 years ago, it was, it was a little bit more opaque. So there was a little bit more of like calling down. We liked, we were located in Lincoln, um, you know, back then. And so we, we, we did Gage County and Johnson County and Lancaster County, um, which is all sort of in that, in that immediate Lincoln area. Um, and it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. And like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a fun business, um, to, to sort of get exposure to real estate, uh, you know, with a, with a fairly limited amount of capital. And every yeah. once in a while, every once in a while, you, you know, you, you hit a home run and, and you get those that, that mature and, and, you know, you're allowed to, like I said, foreclose on the property, which, you know, ultimately you end up taking the property for about 10% of its 10, 11% of its taxable value. Uh, you know, if you get it to mature, which is, you know, obviously an, an insanely good deal. Um, oh, yeah. If you can, if, if you get lucky. How many do you think you bid on before you actually got to close on a couple of them no we did it for five years so i mean a couple hundred um you know so i mean the 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 hit rate's probably like under one percent but again like the thing the great i mean we made the the majority of 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 our returns on the fact that we were borrowing money at you know on the line of credit at i forget if it's five or six percent and investing it at, at 14 and so we were able to take that you know take that money and use leverage which again is one of the things I studied and found to find to this day fascinating about real estate as an asset class um, and, and do it that way. So your returns on equity, um, you know, using that model are, are great, which is, and it's no different than, you know, buying a rental um, and using leverage so that, you know, they, re, they increase your returns on, on equity. And that's, and I'm glad you said it too, but uh, using other people's money to make money yourself was kind of the point that I was looking to get at before. 
until I was really interrupted by Mitch. But it's all good because we got a really smart guy. I'm not really necessarily following along everything that you're saying, but I'm really <laughs> hoping that people take Google and chat GPT seriously with some of the stuff he's saying. Because after you did these tax lanes, where did kind of your portfolio start to go or start to build after that? Because now you've got a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. So, so after, after a few years um, of doing that, um, you know, we decided it was kind of time to pull the, pull the trigger. And we'd always been interested in commercial uh, double and triple net stuff. Um, I'd gotten to do some of that um, in the law firm context and thought, man, this is, this is wild. So you're telling me you can, you know, have these, have these high quality tenants and put these deals together and they're fairly low maintenance. Um, and, and with my group, KL, um, KL Capital, you know, uh, uh, we all have, we all have our, our, our own careers. You know, John's a project manager at Qit. I'm an attorney at Hilgers Graben. You know, Scott's a, Scott's a, a CFO, um, you know, at a, at, a, at a software company. And so we, we've all got these, you know, these, these, these day jobs. And so the thinking was, well, hey, how do we, you know, leverage our time, right? And so commercial was one of the was one of the big ways that we we sought to do that. And so at 20, probably 18, so a few years after we started KL, um, we bought a, a. I think at the time it was only about half a million dollars, but uh, um, a little a little brick uh, building that had uh, a CarQuest in it as a, as a as a tenant. And that was our first triple net building. In that case, it was actually double net, um, but uh, uh, did that and thought, man, this is great. And then, um, and then from there, just really expanded out. So now we do a lot more um, strip. We like, we like strip malls. We like single tenant, triple net. Um, and, and, and my thinking is, is, you know, we work sort of really hard on upfront to get the deal done. Um, and then, and then they're not a lot of work on the back end, which is great for um, those of us, you know, a lot of my investors are, are other attorneys like me who are, um, you know, I, I think you said I can be a little bit colorful on this podcast, but they're like prostitutes, right? I mean, I, I get paid by the hour, right? So, you know, I have to, I have to leverage, leverage my time in that respect. Yeah. And I think, and I believe, right, the triple net lease side of things is an incredibly safe investment and something I believe that you were saying before I hit the record button. Yes, we talked for like two minutes before we record was kind of the history of real estate and then kind of how real estate as an asset class and then into the triple net space is safe. And over time, mm-hmm. would you call it the safest asset class I, that there is out there? I would definitely call it one of the safest. So, I mean, like, all right, so, so <clears throat> without getting, without getting too far in the weeds, let's, let's like go back to, you know, call it eh, the year 1500 right? Um, you know, what, what was the, what, what did all the landed, you know, gentry back in Europe have? Land. What did most of the people that came to the United States not have? Land. What did the United States have in tremendous abundance? Obviously, you know, cultural and historical problems that occurred, you know, notwithstanding, um, you know, there was just a ton of land out here. And that was a huge draw. Because, it, you know, back in the old world, you know, whether it was Europe or Asia or wherever, uh, you know, th- that land and ownership of it was the key to aristocracy, wealth, et cetera. And the only way to get it was to come to the United States. Well, interestingly, and, and this is again, partly because I'm a nerd, um, it, it turns out like over a long enough period of time, um, 
you know, you've never lost real estate, you never lost money on real estate in the United States. Now, again, important caveat over a long enough period of time, that could be, you know, three years, or that could be 30 years. But because of the way that our, our, our monetary system is structured, um, you know, the, the value of a dollar is designed to go down. Ergo, a hard asset moves inverse to that. Um, and that, and that is, and that's just a quirk of, of our monetary system. And so, you know, my, the, the vast majority of my net worth is in real estate. And because, and the reason for that is, is it, there's a, just this, this structural um, advantage to that asset class relative to cash, relative to bonds, um, or even relative to some, uh, you know, operating uh, companies, um, just because of the way it's structured. So, I wouldn't call it, you know, the safest, but that's just because you know I, I rarely speak in absolutes. But I would certainly call it, um, you know, a very safe, uh, uh, you know, wonderful asset. And, and I would also note that there are also ways. You know, we talked about flipping and 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 uh, you know multifamily, um, where you can make a development where you can make just tremendous returns by taking the risk and and creating something. Because that's one of the other structural things you know, to think about for those of you going on your real estate journey is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, one of the great things about America is, is there was really nothing here, you know, when, when we started 700 years ago. And so, and so the system is designed to encourage creation and building and renovating and, 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 and you know, making something out of, you know, effectively nothing. Well, that's how the government gets paid taxes. Absolutely. So of course it's set up that way. And, but when we lose money, we don't get it back, which is odd. But when looking at like the triple net lease side of things, obviously, I mean, it's a lot safer investment than, yeah, like you were saying, the multifamily or your single family. Now you're taking a lot more risk with those, but you also, in my opinion, have a lot higher upside on the short term. Versus a triple net. So depending on what you're looking to do um, in like Mitch and I's case, we do a little bit of everything and right. You diversify your portfolio, you get the triple net side of things where you have safe money in essence, and then you get your speculative stock money, right. Doing single family homes, maybe some multifamily, even though multifamily, you know, pros and cons of everything. Multifamily provides a little bit more safety, when it comes to a single family home, Mitch, I think you were saying this the other day, but if your AC goes out, it wipes out your cash flow for the entire year. So there's pros and cons to everything. And I'm not here to tell you guys how to do things, but just like your financial advisor would tell you to diversify your stock market portfolio. Um, we want to provide, I guess, value or information on all different sides of the real estate market and how you can make money. So uh, tax liens, single family, multifamily, triple net leases. But no, I just wanted to make a point there. So Mitch, I think you had a question. Well, you have economies of scale and, and multifamily, right? So multiple doors within one asset. And so your cash flow is not wiped out if it takes too long to fill one tenant. And so um, I do want to jump back though. You had a, a great point about real estate and over time, no one's ever lost money in real estate over a certain amount of time, right? And the government also heavily favors real estate investors and rewards them with tax benefits like bonus depreciation, 1031 exchanges. Um, can you talk a little bit, Mike, about 
what is a triple net lease and what is a double net lease for some of the listeners? Oh, absolutely. Let's start with the triple net lease. Um, so what a triple net lease is, is that is a, a, a deal whereby an operating business says, hey, I'm going to rent your property, but I don't want you landlord really involved. So, so we're going to rent it um, and we're going to pay you for the taxes, insurance, upkeep, maintenance, et cetera. You landlord, you're required to provide us uh, a, a solid structure, a roof, foundation, and sometimes parking, right? And, and in exchange for that, we're going to pay you and you stay out of our hair. Obviously, my favorite asset class. Yeah. Actually, I didn't yeah. really think about that until uh, I, we were just talking about this now. But for those listening, Mike is bald. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I remember in, in law school thinking, well, why the hell would somebody do that? Right? Like, why the hell would you do that if you're a business owner? Well, it's embedded deep in the tax code. And so in a corporate tax class, I basically had this aha moment, which is, oh, for a company like McDonald's, for a company like Verizon, for a company like CarQuest, they're not in the business of real estate. They're in the business of selling hamburgers, car supplies, cell phones. And so they don't want to have to deal with understanding property taxes and insurance and, and, and frankly, dealing with local vendors in 50 states. They just want to be able to do their thing. And more importantly, they get to deduct all of that penny for penny, right? So, so from their perspective, it's, a, it's an incredible tax advantage to them. Because uh, they get they get the deduction up front, whereas you know for landlords like myself, um, or or the clients that I represent that 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 do this, I mean you get some great tax advantages again, which gets back to the historical thing of hey we're we society through the tax code has said we want you entrepreneurs to be building, we want you entrepreneurs to be creating and 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 expanding. Um, and that come, and, and so, and so that's what a triple net lease is. And that's sort of the, the, the philosophy underpinning it. And so what and, makes these safe investments would be these large corporations are your tenants, mm-hmm. right? Probably not going to go out of business anytime in the next 10 to 15 years. And you're not responsible for CapEx renovations. They can come in and do whatever they want to the property interior wise. Correct. Gen- generally, generally speaking, I mean, the devil is in the details. Um, you know, most of these leases, you know, a lot of these triple net leases are 40 and 50 pages long. Um, you know, the, the, the ones that I you know, draft and do are again, 40 and 50 pages long. I mean, they're, they're very detailed. And so there's always some, some, some nuance to them, but in general, that's the, that's the idea. Um, now we actually, we KL, we like to we like to be more hands-on and manage. And so, and so a lot of the leases that we do, we say, hey, we'll handle it all and we'll just charge it back to you through what's called a CAM. So a common area maintenance charge. We we specialize on a lot of multi-tenant um, you know, bays. So where you'll have an anchor tenant and then like a local tenant, um, and then that's sort of the, the the upside for a lot of the properties that we do. Um and and tucked in there, there will be, you know, language about, you know, small capital improvements, um, 
you know, what the, you know, how the tenants can renovate. I mean, a great example, here's a great example. We own a Verizon out in Grand Island and, um, and they basically said, Hey, we're going to renovate. Here are our plans, you know, approve them and, and we'll, we'll handle everything else to which we looked at them and said, yeah, that's fine. Why? If they're going to put in several hundred thousand dollars back into my building, that means they're not going anywhere. Now, Greg, you mentioned something important, but that is you know, the returns on single family and multifamily and development are significantly better than triple and double net leases. And the reason for that is you have, you know, you have dynamic pricing where, you know, when you have a, an apartment turnover, you can raise the rents. When you have you know a vacancy, you can you can raise the rents. Whereas in a lot of these triple net and double net leases, they're twenty years long, and so they're almost like bonds in that respect. Yeah, and and you'll I mean you'll write in like every three years, every five years, hell, every year, uh, those leases will go up two percent or whatever it may be. So to keep up with inflation and probably any other triple net lease that you're going to have in the area is going to have either a similar or the same contract i don't know is it kind of similar to like i don't know how you follow like professional sports the nfl if anyone's ever heard of the national football league but you know they try and say you know a dak prescott if he's making 300 million then who we got patrick mahomes should be making 400 million i mean does it is there comparisons or is that completely out of the legal picture um for that to be happening and you to be able to see other contracts for how they're set up for the buildings around that area. Does um, that make sense? No. Yeah, yep, yep, absolutely. Okay. Uh, no, that is a very opaque market. However, um, there are there are paid services through Crexy, Tripwire, Bloomberg, um, where, where some of that data will be reported um, and, and aggregated. Um, and so you can sort of get snippets and ideas of where of where market rents are. So, sure. for example, um, you know, a a a Starbucks, um, a, a, a two thousand square foot Starbucks triple net lease in say downtown Chicago might have a base rent of seventy dollars per square foot, whereas um, a, a triple net Starbucks in say Sioux Falls, South Dakota, one of my favorite jurisdictions. Uh, one of my favorite cities, it might only be $22 a square foot. Well, why? Because Chicago is a city of, of 8 million people and Sioux Falls is a town of 300,000. Um, and so it, with a lot more building and land development potential. Um, and, so, and so that data nationwide will get aggregated. So you can get general ideas, but it's not, it, it you're not going to be able to click on a, a Zillow link and, and see what it is. Yeah. I think that's a lot of just being in the market or in a particular market for a certain amount of time. I mean, you're not going to go to Spain and learn Spanish within a week. So it's kind of about putting yourself within the scenario, talking to people within those markets, uh, talking to people like Mike, uh, talking to your realtors who may have been doing this for five, 10, 15, 30 years and being able to figure out from them because it's not gonna be a one size fits all uh, type of industry. But I, I wanna to touch too, and I don't even know if touch on anything here, but you mentioned McDonald's 
and the uh, the triple net lease space. You ever watched The Founder with Ray Kroc? Not yet. Not yet. It's on my list. That's that's where me personally, and I know you did not ask, but I'm going to tell you anyway. That's where me personally, I ended up getting kind of the idea that I wanted to get into land mm-hmm. um, at some point in my career. I think I watched it. Oh, God. I mean, I must have been in high school or something. I'm not even sure when it came out, but that's kind of when I hit like an aha moment, like, holy shit, like Ray Kroc is smart as shit in doing that. And uh, after he got kicked out, I think of the McDonald's side of things and took the, oh, I'm ruining it for those who haven't seen it. Never mind. But I mean, it's, uh, a, pretty fa- it's a pretty famous story. I mean, I, right. I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a spoil. It's a, not a spoiler. Yeah, that's fair. But that's, and that's, like I said, uh, you can get inspiration from anywhere, but a lot of the people that we've brought on so far, we've asked kind of from the education standpoint or from books that they've read, like which ones, or if there's any that come to mind in particular, I think I've talked to you about this before, mm-hmm. but are there any books or a book that comes to mind and like, that gives a pretty good blueprint of how you can enter this industry and stay in it for a long time? Well, the one, the sort of the seminal book for me that got me thinking is it was, I think, I think most everyone has read it and I read it in undergrad was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yep. Um, I, I think, I think virtually anyone who has gotten into, to real estate, you know, even for those that were like born into it, you know, I think have read it at some point. Um, And now my, my big beef with that book um it, it is that it makes it sound like buying an apartment complex is as simple as buying a mcdonald's hamburger right um you know and 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 as you know for those of us who are actually in it know uh, it's, it's way more complicated than that um you know and and so honestly that was one of the things i read it in undergrad you know before knowing i was going to go to law school but but knowing that and and kept thinking like yeah, he, he makes it sound like it's it's something that you can just you know do. Um, now you can, right? Like if you've got good lawyers and and good accountants and good good real estate advisors, you know, with without knowing any of the the mechanics of it, you can do it. Um, and and that's actually something I tell I tell clients um, and and folks all the time. And, and I'll tell your listeners, you know, if you've got a good deal. You can you can hire everything else done. You don't need to know everything. Shameless plug: Hilger's Grave and practices nationwide. Give us a call. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so so if you've got a good deal and you find something, you know, the the deal drives everything else. You know, if you've got a good deal, everything else can fall into place. But that for me was the 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 book that made me go aha. Um, now the other ones were. Um, you know, probably you know, the, 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 the seventh edition of, of real estate transactions by Westlaw, um, which I don't think many people would A, want to read or B, um, you know, care, care to without, without uh, you know, having to in for a law school course. It, it, sounds like, uh, it sounds like a small book that's about this thick with very small type. Is that, I've never heard of the book. Can, so, it's, on my, it's on my desk. I can, or it's on my shelf. I can go grab hmm. it. Yeah, yeah, probably not. Not many pictures in that book for you, Greg, I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm more of like a picture guy, <laughs> like a green eggs and Graph. type of dude. Graphs that, and pictures, yeah. Yeah, that's what, see, I got like the 20th anniversary edition of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it just was super easy to read. And then they recap at the end and they ask you questions. Never did the recap or questions, but 
Um, it just made me feel like I was going through a 400 page book a lot faster uh, because there was a lot of fluff in there. Hey, um, I hear there's a top golf for sale in Omaha, Mike. Have you looked into that deal at all? How did you know? <laughs> That's on the market, isn't it? it? It is. It is. It is. Yes. I we, knew you'd uh, be going after it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Devil's in the details on it. Um, I, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a trophy asset, but I think there's, there's, there's better value to be had elsewhere. So I think, I think we're going to, we're going to look, look elsewhere, but it's still, I mean, fabulous, fabulous uh, uh, property for sure. Yeah. And I don't know what the numbers look like there, how they operate it. Cause it's not during the winter, but I'm assuming oh, it's, there's a... it's definitely operating during the winter. I know it's operating during the winter, but more or less like, is it hitting the same numbers as it does during warm weather seasons? From a landlord's perspective, it doesn't matter. Okay. As long as the number at the end of the year is very high. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it, see, I looked at it as well. I thought it was a little bit risky because just in case Top Golf ever did go down, what you have to put a lot of capital into that uh, land for to be used for something else. Or maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't know. So that was the, that, that's, that's, that's the thing with, with, with real estate, as long as you can hold on, as long as you can hold on. And that partly comes with structuring, structuring deals and partnerships and your capital stack such that you can. Um, I, you know, I think anybody would be fine, even if Topgolf left. Now, the devil would be in the, uh, you know, in the back end fill uh, uh, of that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, it's an interesting deal structure for sure. Yeah. And I, I don't think that Topgolf is going anywhere anytime soon because we're in Nebraska and let's face it. Um, I don't think I have to say it, but we are in Nebraska. So that is one a very few sources of entertainment that we have and uh, people do like golf here in Nebraska and can't necessarily to afford to do like a full winter living in Phoenix or something like that. So uh, it's a nice, it's a nice little hobby to take your date uh, first date, you know, take your family out there or have a corporate event, not sponsored by top golf, top golf. If you're watching though, I'm glad that you brought that up, Mitch, because it's nice to see who we're competing with. Well, Mike, outside of the real estate and being the best lawyer in the country, what do you like to do? What kind of hobbies do you have? Oh, man. I, uh, <clears throat> so I'm big into fitness. Um, I actually met my wife uh, in, our, in, in the gym that, uh, in the, I guess, the apartment gym that we were both using uh, when we were both in grad school. Um, and uh, so, so that's definitely a, a, a big one for us. Um, and then we like to, we like to host parties. Uh, that's like one of our, one of our big things, you know, is, is uh, hosting people and getting together. And that's actually one of the things I really like about real estate is, you know, at the end of the day, it is a, uh, it's a people business, right? You get to know your, your tenants and your, your investors and your partners and your, you know, just the people that you work with. And so at the end of the day, I think that's one of the most fun parts about, about real estate is, uh, uh, is, is the people. So that's, those are my, those are my hobbies. And, and CrossFit or, or what kind of workout are we doing here? <laughs> so funny enough, I did CrossFit until I hurt my shoulder. Uh, right now I am going to a uh, yoga studio. That's actually kind of fun here out here in West Omaha. Uh, and then we have a, we have a home gym that, that we do. And then actually like once the weather warms up, I, Tim Ferriss, my man talks about rucking, like like it is exactly what it sounds like. Put on a heavy backpack, 
and walk. Sounds easy. It's kind of like it's kind of like the rich dad poor dad. Like go out and buy an apartment complex. <laughs> Easier than it sounds. Like it sounds really easy until you actually do it. Now, do you do it up hills or just like you're walking down the street? Oh, like up hills all around. Like the twin uh, two rivers national state parks kind of nearby uh, our place. So I'll go out there and and do it and you know up and down and all over the place. It's fun. You're just throwing a bunch of your law books in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I, no, I, I use, I use plates, but that's, a, that's actually not a bad idea. Plates. Interesting. Like plates that you don't use anymore. Like, no, like wait, like weighted. Plates. Oh, look at me thinking about dinner already. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. My bad. Somebody's hungry. Okay. Yeah. Well, just got a good workout in Mitch. Maybe you know something a little bit about that. Nope. I don't work out. No, but I did, and I, it's a weird transition right back into like actual real estate law stuff here real quick, but I wanted to touch on the legal side of things before uh, we ended this at some point. And that is, and there's a lot of questions I feel that I've seen within a real estate investor group that we're in here in Lincoln mm-hmm. about when to create an LLC, when to have separate LLCs for separate deals. Uh, some people asking about having a separate LLC for every single deal they do. And I believe what they're looking at is liability side of things. So if you had someone diversifying their portfolio, right, that I'm preaching, like I'm a gospel preacher right now. Mm-hmm. If you had someone doing your different multifamilies, your flips, mm-hmm. um, you're getting into triple net lease deals, what are your recommend? What is your not legal advice? This not legal advice. What is your not legal advice on how to structure? And it's going to vary. Um, but different LLCs and when you should or when you should not create a new one for different deals? Well, let's start with a more concrete example. Give, give, me, give, me, a, give me a hypothetical portfolio. Um, let's talk about five single family rentals. And let's talk about a two triple net lease deals that you have let's just say one in Illinois, one in South Dakota, who knows if that makes a difference. Okay. And then let's talk about maybe you have three flips going on at the time. Okay. And let's just make it there. All right. So, so there we, so I, especially for single family homes, and, and especially if let's like, we'll take the, we'll take the single families and flips first. Um, flips, I think you can all do in, in one LLC. And here's why, um, you're not holding them for very long. They are effectively inventory that you're churning. Um, and so, and so from that perspective, from that perspective, like the, the asset protection issue is not that big of a deal in my view. Um, and, and I think most importantly with, with the flips is that because they're not long-term holds, um, you want to have that flexibility to have them go in and out, um, you know, as you buy and sell. And so having that capital all self-contained, obviously you can move it out through distributions when you have sales. Um, I think is a, is that's per, a perfectly fine approach. I think you could do that with, you know, 50, hundred flips in a single LLC. Um, to the single family portfolio, so you talked to five, five single family portfolios. My answer to, or my five, five thing, single family homes, I think my answer to that would depend on a couple of things. One, um, are they all located in the same state? Uh, um, if so, 
okay, we could have them all be in the same LLC. Two, approximate size. Um, this is a this is a real example. Um, I've got a client, um, uh, a well-to-do family here in Omaha, and um, they've got two LLC or excuse me, two uh, rental properties. And, and they just asked me, hey, this very question, you know, should we put these each in their own LLCs? And it's two, it's two fairly nice um, single family homes. So each is about a quarter million dollars, quarter million, about 300, you know, give or take. So, mm-hmm. so you're looking at, you know, a little bit over a half million dollars worth of real estate. And ultimately I said, you know, I think, I think for efficiency, you can just throw them into one. Um, you know, I think you can just throw them into one um, from an asset per asset um, protection standpoint, the, the best practice is yes, put every single one in its own LLC. Frankly, from the lawyer hat of me, that's better for me from a fee side of things as a practical matter. eh, I, you know, I don't think it's necessary. I think it's, it's, you know, use your best judgment. And when you get over a couple million of, of assets, yeah, then it, maybe it makes sense. But so I, it depends on that as 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 well. And then lastly, it also depends on whether or not you have any partners. Um, that's probably the most critical driver of whether or not you need another LLC. Um, you know, if you have other partners that have differing deal structures, you know, then yeah, absolutely, you'd want an LLC because the LLC is effectively that's the living, breathing embodiment of the deal. Um, and so, and so based on those three factors, you know, my answer would, would change. Yeah. I mean, would you encourage a joint venture versus like creating a new LLC with someone for any, you have any pros or cons from the could or could not be legal side of things? Well, I guess when you say joint venture, what do you mean? Uh, Greg LLC and Mitch LLC go in to buy a $250,000 single family rental. Oh yeah, in, in that particular instance, yes, I would, I would, I would uh, uh, do it. I would absolutely do a do a joint venture LLC in that respect. And the reason is is because each member is probably contributing, you know, separate capital and separate, you know, stuff, um, know how, et cetera. Um, so in that case, it makes it cleaner because um, I've I have seen you know situations, you know, especially with guys early on, where they are. You know, just trying to get up and going and they might have like kind of a handshake deal of like hey you put up all the money and everything's held in your name and you pay me 50 percent of the profit on the back end and then there's nothing papered up on it and then you know then really you are going on a handshake mm-hmm. um and and so from a um uh from a legal standpoint you're just in a lot better shape to paper up now uh, as i like to say don't let the risk tail wag the dog you know so if it if it's, you know, an uncle or, you know, you're, you're trying to get up and going. Yeah. You can take some risk. Right. Um, I think, I think that's fine. As, as, as the numbers get bigger, um, I think then, and the par- parties get more sophisticated, just the more documentation, the more, um, you know, protections need to go into it. And that's, and, and you see with the invention of social media and how news outlets are these days, it's like there's a lot more just random lawsuits that, and maybe we just didn't hear about them uh, in the past. But with social media, right, you can defame people, and then all of a sudden you're getting sued for five million dollars. And so we just want to make sure that like, you guys understand, Mitch and I, from near the start, 
we're working on the legal side of things, not us professionally, but working with a gentleman like Mike, literally Mike, uh, to make sure that we are covered in all aspects. And the guy's running deals and the guy does real estate law and the guy gets Kublade from Nebraska Wesleyan University and the guy gets to go to school for free and the guy gets some fellowship stuff. I mean, the guy's way smarter than we're ever going to be. So aside from the first episode, I'm super glad that I've surrounded myself with people in this podcast that are way smarter than me. Mitch, hopefully you caught that, but again, right to my point. And I don't know about you guys. Uh, time is ticking on the day. And Mike, I I greatly appreciate all the information. I know we've spoke several, several times, sometimes free, sometimes not free. Uh, but we appreciate you coming on this podcast. Seriously, like you this provide a lot of information that I, I'd love to I'd love to know. I'd love to come back. I mean, honestly, I love, I love talking about this stuff. I could talk about secure. I, I, I could talk about syndication and some of the legalese that goes into that. Um, yeah. I mean, I love, I, I do this, I do this all day. Like this is, this is, this is my happy place. So I'm happy to come on and, and, and share what I know. Yeah. I think at some point, hopefully we'll dedicate an episode just to syndication because I believe that is a huge way for people that don't necessarily have the capital to do right. These four and a half million dollar strip mall uh, or these 500 unit apartment deals to get your name out one into the industry. And it was something that you said earlier too. And I was listening that if you find a good deal, like the money's going to come uh, and Mitch preaches this day in and day out. And uh, I get a little bit worried about when we're looking at some apartment deals and, are we going to be able to find $8 million? Are we going to be able to find this or that? You know, word spreads pretty fast when you have a deal that's bringing back 20% um, IRR or cash on cash or whatever it may be. So no, we seriously, man, like you spread a lot of knowledge that again, I'm going to have to watch and listen to this and I will because I edit some of it uh, back and write some of the stuff down because a lot of it is stuff that I needed probably to listen to you earlier about, because I think you've probably said most of it. So no, man, we appreciate it. And Mitch, and I don't know if you have a clock in your room by now, Mitch, or not, but can you tell the folks what time it is? It's always time to get shit done. Thank you, Mike. And thanks everybody for listening. Thanks guys. I got a show today. It's all I'm trying to do. Hustle and motivate. Choppers are throw away. Hustle the other way. That's why they follow me, huh? They think I know the way. Cause I took control of things. Calling the solo way. And if you pattern my trend, I make you my protege. Slossing that soldier race.